Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Journey to Grateful podcast, a podcast focused on helping us understand the process of loss and grief with the help of those who are living it. I'm your host, Tim Begonia, and this is show number 50. Through this show, you and I will examine the details we've discovered during our grief journey, share our experiences, the good and the not so good, through the podcast, the blog, and social media while building a community that desires a more open understanding of what grief is, how it affects us all, and how best to navigate its difficult path. Be sure to join the community, subscribe to the podcast, and find quick links to do both over at journeytograteful.com. Now, if you like what you hear on the show, please share an episode and the podcast with someone you know who could benefit a community that understands the path they are currently on. In today's episode, I've decided to create a list of what I believe are the top 10 common grief myths. I'm assuming many of these you may already know from your grief experience, and you find yourself rolling your eyes when you come across them in real life. I've done certainly the same thing. Others may be new to you, but are good to know since I'm pretty sure you will experience each one of these at least once. At the end of the episode, I've also put together a bonus. Five things never to say to someone who's grieving. These typically exist in society from the need for people to say something comforting, yet due to ignorance or awkwardness or both, they come off insensitive. Somehow these phrases continue to cycle through the support community, and I'd like us all to take note today and make certain we are not perpetuating these, and in fact, that we are actively attempting to squash these forever. And thank you again for joining me in today's episode. I hope the list that I've put together will help guide you with the proper expectations while you are on your grief journey and help those who may not have realized what they've said to a grieving friend may not have been the best choice. So let's get into the show. So I'd like to begin with what grief is. One short and to-the-point explanation could possibly be this. A natural response of a person's perceived loss. Now the word that I'd like to focus on with that specific definition is natural. It's a natural response. Grief is a natural reaction to a devastating loss. For our purposes here, we will assume the loss of a person. What grief is not is a mechanical, organized response to something quickly forgotten or easily brushed aside. And yet our society continues to perpetuate myths about grief as though they are truths. These myths may seem harmless, but their use can quickly become hurdles to healing. And if you've ever experienced grief, one thing we don't need is more hurdles. So before I get into the list that I've created, I'd like to speak on grief and mourning. Now, most people tend to use the words grief and mourning interchangeably. However, there is an important distinction between them. To better move forward in healing, we cannot achieve that by just simply grieving, but through mourning as well. Simply stated, grief is the internal thoughts and feelings we experience when someone we love dies. Mourning, on the other hand, is taking the internal experience of grief 
and expressing it outside of ourselves. In reality, grieving is acceptable and common, however, mourning is not. Instead of being encouraged to express grief outwardly, we are often greeted with messages such as, come on, carry on, or keep your chin up, or keep busy, it'll help. So we end up grieving within ourselves in isolation instead of mourning outside of ourselves in the presence of loving companions and support of friends and understanding family. It is nearly impossible to constantly be the one trying to lift yourself up through your loss without as much as a helping hand or a word of encouragement. Words matter. Whether they are positive and uplifting or destructive and unhelpful, words make a difference. I cannot tell you how many times a simple, brief, very, very simple word of encouragement has helped me personally to take one more step forward on any given day. So remember, words matter. Now let's take a look at what I consider to be the top 10 common myths of grief. And let me add a note here. The items in this list can come from society and its beliefs, or it can come from within. Your perception of grief can be affected by how perhaps you've grown up, or what, if any, grief you've been exposed to. And thus, some of these beliefs may just simply have been instilled in you. So number one, grief has a beginning, middle, and an end. Now, I would definitely dispute this, and I want to dispute this idea of grief having an end. There is no end to grief. As our love for the person we've lost has no end, that is exactly what your grief is going to be for that same person. Grief has no end. Does grief get a bit more manageable? Uh, absolutely. Of course it does. But for different reasons than you might think, which I'll address in a later myth. Myth number two. Grief occurs in an orderly and predictable progression, as if it was on a linear timeline. Now, this is definitely not how grief occurs. Grief is definitely messy, and grief does have things that it's going to make you experience, but they are not going to be experiences that come in a succinct order. They will not be predictable, and they by no means will ever be something that you can count on to be done with once you've experienced it. There's an analogy I love, and I'm going to share it with you now. Grief is not a linear timeline, as though it's on a string and it's pulled taut, and then you just simply progress from one end of the string to the other. That is not what grief is like. Grief, rather, is more of a jumbled ball of string. Just this messed up ball of string, where the string overlaps another portion of the string, which overlaps another portion of the string, and so on. And you can look at grief as though you, your grief journey is on the string. And once you achieve something, once you experience something on that line, on that string, 
you instead of thinking that you're never going to experience again, put in your mind that at some point in time, as you are traveling further down that line on that jumbled ball of string, there is going to be a chance that you are going to cross that same experience. So be aware that grief is not orderly. It is certainly not predictable. And the progression of your grief is not a clean line that goes from beginning to end. There are going to be times when you believe that you've experienced something that you may not experience again, and you will be surprised that it will happen again. So just be aware of that. Number three, keeping busy will help you forget your grief. No, I've tried this. It doesn't work. And ignoring the feelings, the sorrow, and the need to cry won't work either. You need to, you need to face your grief a little bit more head-on. You need to be aware of what it's doing to you, and then you need to take steps to actually meet your grief. Trying to forget, quote-unquote, your grief is a futile process. There is never a way to forget because there are always going to be memories and experiences and things out in the real world that are going to suddenly bring up a memory or a thought about your lost person. It's just what happens. In fact, one of my friends from my first bereavement group, he coined this term that I had never heard before, and I love it, and now I've seen it elsewhere, but he calls these events that kind of come out of nowhere in the, the most unlikely places, he coins them as grief bombs. And grief bombs is a great term, because it's just that. It comes out of nowhere, and it blows up right in front of your face. Now, you could also consider these as triggers, and whatever you need to consider for your purposes, go ahead and do that. But understand that what's happening is your grief, when you think that you have it under control, and you are in a grocery store, and you're turning the corner, and you're just minding your own business, not even thinking about the person that you've lost, suddenly on the shelf... Perhaps it's their favorite food. Perhaps it's their favorite treat. And that triggers everything in you to just simply boil up. And the next thing that you know, you're crying in the middle of the grocery store. That is a grief bomb. And it will happen once. It will happen five times. It will happen, I'm guessing, forever. So just please be aware. Number four. Your grief will fade with time. It will become smaller and less intense. With time, you will get over it. Now, this one bothers me on so many different levels. First of all, the, the way that I ended that sentence, with time, you will get over it. The whole term getting over it is something that should never be used when talking about grief in any sense at all, period. Done. So what I'd like to also to, to consider here is the idea that grief will fade with time. That's the simplistic view of this myth. And I don't believe that it will fade with time. 
just as my love for my wife was not fading over time, my grief for the loss of my wife is not fading. What I would like you to do is envision a box, and this box represents your life. And suddenly in this box, you know, you've had all these memories with your loved one. You've got wonderful things that you've shared, and that is all contained within this box. And suddenly you experience their loss. And now grief becomes this giant ball inside this box. And the grief is so all-encompassing. It is so huge that this box barely has any room for anything else but your grief. Certainly the box still represents your life, and certainly those memories and those experiences are still there. But in instead of those only being contained within that box, now they have to share room with this giant ball, which is grief. Now the idea here is that that ball does not necessarily shrink, but over time, you fill your box more and more with life, with more experiences, with more memories. And actually your life, that box, ends up growing. And the ball is still there. And the ball is still as big as it was. Because that grief does not go away. But you are now building that life that you've had, that you are now creating additional memories and life, your experiences are growing and they start making that box bigger. And thus the ball in proportion to the box over time becomes smaller. Yet keep in mind that grief is still there and it's still the same size. You're just filling that box with more experiences and more life. So number five, all grief related to loss of a person is the same. And this is just a no. Now, there is definitely going to be similarities, but you cannot paint with such a broad brush. My experience is not similar to your experience. It's not the same, I should say. Perhaps there are some similarities, but your experience is not mine, and no one has the same grief experiences. Ever. They will have some similarities, but they don't have exactly the same experience. So when an older person passes, a mother or a grandmother or grandfather, the experience for each individual person is going to be different, even though the passing was still the same. And if there was a young child who passes, that type of grief is, I can't even imagine it. But every single aspect of that grief is going to be different based on the different experiences from each person going through that particular grief. So please understand, all grief is not the same. And you need to give people grace when they are talking about their grief or when they are going through their grief. Not everybody is going to have the same experiences. They're not going to feel the same way. And they're not going to progress in their grief journey the exact same way. Now, number six, crying is a sign of weakness. Now, I could also say on the flip side, not crying in enough shows you don't miss your person enough. 
Now, this is this one really, really is frustrating. The first part of this, crying is a sign of weakness. That's just a that's a hard no. That is definitely a hard no. Crying is the sign of you losing something that you've loved and that you cannot possibly get back. That's not a sign of weakness. That's a sign of love. Crying is an outlet. It's a release. And it's a necessary part of grieving and mourning. Now again, back to the flip side. The idea of not crying enough means that you don't miss your person enough. No, there's going to be ebbs and flows with your your physical mourning. There's going to be times when the littlest things will trigger you to cry. And there's going to be other times when you can get past those, those things that usually would trigger uh, sometimes there is the simplest of things that will trigger you to well up inside and to really feel the emotions, to feel all the feels. And sometimes it doesn't make any sense. Sometimes you're kind of wondering to yourself, why in the world am I reacting like this? And the only answer that I have for you is it's grief. It's grief, it's unpredictable, and it happens. Just understand that crying is not a sign of weakness. And in my viewpoint, it's much more a sign of love. Number seven, women grieve more than men. This is again, no, just no. Stereotypical ways of viewing men and women have spilled over into the grieving process. And I'm not sure if I like that very much. And here's where differences can come into play. Some people, due to personality, gender, maybe culture perhaps, they may grieve in a more expressive way, while others may grieve in a more cognitive way through problem solving or taking action or taking long, long, long walks or working really hard on a particular project around the house. There are different ways of grieving, different forms of grieving. Saying grief, you know, that... That one word kind of always puts something in our head based on usually what we've experienced ourselves or how we have been raised with grief in our life, if there was any grief in our life. So it's interesting when you consider that perhaps somebody is out there indicating that women grieve more than men. I, I don't think that's that's true in any sense. Perhaps there are some that grieve more externally, mourn more externally, and others that don't. I think you can say the same about men. I'm sure if you fill a room with 25 men, there's going to be a portion of them that tend to grieve or mourn externally, and others that don't. Some will just clam up and keep it all inside, which, by the way, is not healthy, and others are going to be much more expressive. So to say that about anybody, grieving again, once again, grieving is different for absolutely everybody. Number eight, once you get through the five stages of grief, your grief will be over. 
Now, there's many things wrong with this particular phrase, and what I'd like to just address here are the stages of grief. And there's many different things out there. Many different people say many different things about the stages of grief. The typical five stages of grief are this. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Now, the stages are a good guidepost, and whatever stages or process that you adhere to and that you've read about and that fits your life and fits your belief, then I would say go with that. But I would warn you that any stages that are indicated to be part of grief should just simply be used as guideposts. Posts. That's it. It's not a hard fact, although similar to my first myth, what I'd like to focus on is the false idea that there are only five stages and that there's an order, see myth number two previous to this, and that there's a way to get over it, which there isn't. So the whole idea here is that although these are good guideposts, these are good suggestions to be aware of that grief can show up in denial and anger and bargaining, depression and acceptance. It isn't always that clean. It isn't always that concise. And it isn't, once again, linear. And once you get through all five stages, you are good to go. That's not how grief works. As I've mentioned before, grief is messy. And it's going to be different for everybody. So you might not hit anger, or perhaps you don't deal with bargaining, but you are really into the anger and the depression, and you feel that you'll never get to acceptance. These things are different for everybody. So understand the answer to the myth, once you get through all five stages of grief, your grief will be over. That's a hard no. Now on to number nine. After getting through all the firsts, the big milestones, your grief will be much easier. And this isn't even a little accurate. Now, coming back around on anniversaries and birthdays, they simply suck. And I'm going to refer back to myth number two. You can experience the same and even stronger emotions months or years down the line about the same exact milestone. So just because you've experienced it once before doesn't mean you won't ever again. So you need to be aware of it. Now, there are milestones and then there are larger milestones, or perhaps I would suggest there are milestones on top of milestones. Here's what I'm getting at. Perhaps your loved one would have turned 48 the year that they passed. And that's going to be hard to get through their birthday. No doubt about that. And perhaps the next year isn't quite as hard, but it's still difficult. And then when it comes to the year they would have turned 50, suddenly this hits you like a block of bricks. This is what I'm talking about, how different firsts, different milestones, you can react to them differently. There's no hard and true fact. And again, and it seems like a theme that is running through this, and it certainly is, everybody is different. 
So keep that in mind at all times. Now the last of the ten is, the grief experience is the same for everyone. Now I've said this over and over again, and I'll just say it just quickly and simply. It can be similar, but it certainly will not be the same. Not the same progression, not the same timeline, not the same intensity, not the same experiences. It is just not going to be the same. So to say the grief experience is the same for everyone is not true. Perhaps you could say there are similarities in grief that everyone can and will most likely share. That would definitely be a truth. But this is not something that can be cookie cutter, and of course it cannot be predicted. So the grief experience is certainly not the same for everyone. So now on to the five things never to say to someone who is grieving. I would like to preface the following by explaining either I myself have had the experience of hearing some of these in conversation or others that I've spoken to have those experiences. And the bottom line is these have been pulled from somebody's experiences and they are quite commonplace, unfortunately. So here are the five things never to say to someone who's grieving. They're in a better place. Now, the better place for me would be here at my side with our children experiencing everything they were meant to experience. For the ones left behind, this statement should never exist. And, and I'm going to be adamant about this particular one. The comment, they're in a better place, has no room for error and has no place in society. Please stop saying that. And I am dealing with experience of a wife who went through breast cancer, multiple treatments, surgeries, the whole gamut. And then the cancer metastasized and she had brain tumors. I know where the thought process is for this comment. They're in a better place. But it it just does not ring true. It never will, and it never has. So please, let's agree that we will never say this again, ever. Number two, I didn't want to say their name and remind you that they're gone. Now, this one is interesting because this one I've heard from several people that I know who have expressed the situation with somebody in their support system. In fact, months after the passing of Colleen, someone had emailed me after we had shared a lunch with my two boys, and they expressed how wonderful it was that we as a family freely brought Colleen into conversations. And at the time, I thought to myself, well, I didn't know that that was an odd thing. And then I've heard other people say that it seems to be awkward for people if they, in conversations themselves, will bring up their past loved one because they see it on the people's faces. A kind of a surprise, like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that we can talk about him or her. So I think this one is a bit interesting. It is not a terrible thing, but it is one detail about grief that I would really like everybody to understand. I personally want you to say Colleen's name. 
I want you to introduce her, some memory, the past, into our conversations like we normally would. Because the moment, and you've heard this before, the moment we stop saying their names is the second time they leave us. And I am not going to allow that to happen. Number three, don't you think it's time to get over it? Now, do I have to say anything on this one? I think everybody understands my point of view, and hopefully you had this point of view before you even came to listen to this episode. Now, Dr. Alan Wolfelt, CenterForLoss.com, he says something that was quite interesting, so I want to read it to you. We never get over our grief, but instead become reconciled to it. We do not resolve or recover from our grief. These terms suggest a total return to normalcy, quote-unquote, and yet in my personal as well as professional experience, we are all forever changed by the experience of grief. For the mourner to assume that life will be exactly as it was prior to the death is unrealistic and potentially damaging. Those people who think the goal is to resolve grief become destructive to the healing process. So I like what Dr. Wolfelt says here, because it's a bit different than what I've expressed myself. Because I'm just simply saying, don't ever use it. Don't ever say it. You don't get over it. Blah, blah, blah. And I think he goes a little bit further, providing us a bit more detail and a different way to take a look at that. So truly, the people who are telling others to get over it, keep this in mind. They think somehow that there is a goal to actually resolve the grief. And that goal, that belief, that simply becomes destructive to the healing process and is no good. Number four, everything happens for a reason. Now, I will go out on a limb here and say this may actually be true. But when someone has just lost their person, they are not in a space to hear this. Almost ever. So be a little bit more caring. Be a little bit more gentle with this. The last thing that somebody wants to hear is that everything happens for a reason. And I understand when people say any of these phrases, they're doing it from a place of trying to help. They're trying to comfort. I get that. But they're not. And I think that the biggest confusion for me personally is that sometimes, I'm going to say sometimes because I have to give them a benefit of some of them a benefit of the doubt. Sometimes they just somehow don't understand that what they're saying is not good. And I think that's where I want everybody to leave with this. Consider what you are about to say. And ask yourself, is it something that's going to help? That's truly going to comfort the person that has just lost somebody. Ask yourself that an honest question and honestly hear the answer inside your head before you say some of these. Now, this last one is less of a what not to say and more of a lesson as to what I would suggest instead of. And it's, it's for those people 
who want to support somebody going through grief and do it in a better way, in a better way to reach out to them to offer a lending hand. So oftentimes, for number five, people will say, let me know if there's anything I can do for you. Now, although it's a very kind and positive way to show that you are there to support your person and to help them through whatever it is that they have for the hours, the days, and the weeks to come, the lesson here is this. Your grieving friend will never reach out for help. And that's, I'm pretty darn sure that's almost 100% of the time. Either they just won't because of who they are, or more likely, they just can't. And here's what I mean by saying that. They do not have the capacity to do so, to actually reach out. There are far too many things going on internally and externally for them, and it's just honestly too much for them to find something that they need help with and then to communicate that with you. So here is my suggestion. Offer something specific. Something like, hey, I'd like to help out next week when the kids are back in school. Let me pick them up and bring them home every day next week after school to help you out. Being that specific clears up any hesitation and allows them to just simply say yes. Or another idea. Our group of friends would like to help you with your lawn care for the rest of the year. We've secured a professional to take care of your lawn for the season. With this example, you are simply offering help with something that is on their to-do list. And once you take that off their list, it becomes priceless. Because you're not only giving them the lawn care, but you are giving them time. And if they have children, you are giving them time with their children. And, of course, with something like this, you can gather a couple of families together and you all are lending a helping hand. This is absolutely perfect. So keep in mind, these are specific ways you can offer to help which simply require the person grieving to say yes. They need not come up with anything for you to help them with, and you have provided a solution to a known or perceived problem that needs a solution. So before I wrap up this episode, I'd like to take a moment to find grief the way that it should be defined. Grief is an unexpressed love we haven't had a chance to share. That is the definition in a nutshell. And that will always be what grief is for me. To not have your person here to speak to, to share milestones or events with, to hold their hand or to ask for their opinion on one matter or another, these are the details you miss the most when you lose somebody. And then there's the ache, which honestly is very much part of the previous things that I've mentioned. But that ache is a feeling that I cannot quite express appropriately. It's as though you are reaching out for something, something to hold, or to grasp, to embrace, and it's just not possible. The need for it is so strong. At times your mind plays tricks and it may even seem like it's possible. And then you realize it's not. It's not ever possible. And that right there, in a very, very small way, begins to explain that ache that I'm speaking of. Now that is grief. And this all is grief. And above all else, 
It's natural. It's a normal reaction to the forever loss of something, or for our discussion, someone. And it is forever. That thought, when you allow it to really sink in, is totally daunting. And it's always there. It's not something you can avoid or ignore or brush aside. So my personal advice to you is to face it head on as much as you possibly can. For me to say face it head on and then just go away doesn't make any sense. Face it head on as much as you possibly can. Talk about your grief when you can. Speak your person's name as often as possible. And understand that what grief truly is, it is your expressed love of which you have no chance to share. But also be aware that your life is more than your grief. You are more than your grief. The balance that I find in my life combines my need and the need of my kids to live the life we have in front of us while proudly celebrating the life we've had with Colleen, the memories and the stories, our experiences and our history. And yes, we leave space for the sadness, the sorrow and the tears, and we speak of it when we need to. But we do take steps forward to redefine this new life that is in front of us. We are still doing that even as I speak. I doubt the need to do so, and feeling of constant adjustment in our life will ever end. And this right here is important. Any steps we take forward are never taken at the expense of what we've had with Colleen and the love we still feel. That is very much a part of who we are, and that informs our strength going forward. In case you are new to the show, Colleen experienced loss as a young mother and wife when her first husband, Rob, passed suddenly in 1999. Now, Colleen taught us through her strength and perseverance. Actually, no. She showed us through her actions how to find a way to move forward while never leaving what she had with Rob behind. Colleen somehow found a way, a wonderful and graceful way, to turn a page in her story and begin to write the next chapter. She not only did that for herself, but more specifically, she did it for her daughter, who had yet to understand the importance of taking charge of your own story, turning the page when possible, and making room for a new chapter after loss. Now, with our story and through this episode's list of grief myths, I hope you can better find your way on your own grief journey. And if you are trying to support someone who has recently experienced loss, I trust you will approach their grief with a bit more sensitivity, a great amount of grace, and a better insight into how grief affects us all from the moment of our loss and long beyond. Thank you again for joining me on the Journey to Grateful podcast. I'm so thankful for you being here each week. Please stop by the community and let your voice be heard. Share your story and ask a question. I am glad to help if I can. 
head on over to journeytograteful.com slash community to access our social media channels, Facebook and Instagram, and request to become a guest on the podcast or contribute to the blog with a story of your own. While you're on the site, sign up for my bi-monthly newsletter designed to provide you inspiration and motivation. Also, I invite you to connect with me via email. The address is tim at journeytograteful.com, or you can call the voicemail, 262-298-2428. That's 262-298-CHAT. And lastly, I ask if you like the show, please share the podcast with a friend, take a couple of minutes to rate and review the show. It goes a very long way to help the podcast get in front of those who need to hear it. Now, as I close out this episode, I'd like to share with you a quote from Kirk Dietrich, which I quite literally stumbled across online. It's a wonderful reminder for all of us to enjoy what we have while we have it. When you meet the one who changes the way your heart beats, dance with them to that rhythm for as long as the song lasts. Isn't that just a wonderful way to look at the once-in-a-lifetimes we all find ourselves in? It's not often, but when we get the chance to recognize what we have and where we are in the moment, I hope that you can all dance to that rhythm for as long as the song lasts. I know Colleen and I did, and our song was spectacular. Thank you again, my friends, for joining me today. Let me know your thoughts on today's episode or any previous episodes. And for those who are walking on their path with grief, I hope you find a way to walk confidently on your journey to grateful. Bye-bye.